I see this as an absolute win. I could do Dormammu, this all day. I am. I've come to bargain. That man's playing Gallagher. Run from it. We Destiny arrives. Our group on the left. Baskin Robbins and says, oh, yes. finds out. Or should I what say, a mystery this is. I am. Wakanda forever. Who's Bucky? And what's the sun Thank you for thinking of me. I get emails from a raccoon. Nothing sounds crazy anymore. Fine, something you want to consider is where balance is beautiful. Next time, this baby. It's a privilege a to be among on them. My face. I'm this very bad. I like it. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Who's got you? I'm going to get that arm. I love you 3,000. Hi, I'm Sonny Birch. Ladies and gentlemen, the Empire Podcast is proud to present, for one last time, the Marvel Studios. Fanfare Orchestra. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. Kang, 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 Ladies and gentlemen, what were you doing, Ben? Well, that answers the can you can can question. So pleased I opened the door so my neighbours could hear that. Oh, my word. For the last time for a while, folks, that is the Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra going out in style. I think you will agree. Hello, Pod. I am Chris Hewitt, and blimey O'Reilly, welcome to the latest and the last, for now, Loki spoiler special. This one is dedicated to the final episode of what we now know to be season one of this show, entitled mm. For All Time. Always. Always. Jesus Christ. It's written by Michael Waldron <laughs> and Eric Martin, and directed as ever by Kate Heron. Answers a lot of questions we've had over the last six weeks. Poses a whole bunch more. Has major, mm. or should I say, majors, implications hey, hey. for the future of the MCU. Oh and leaves us on a cliffhanging head scratcher. Or is it a head hanging cliff scratcher? I'm not quite sure. Anyway, by we, of course, I mean me and my three colleagues of such lethal cunning. Helen O'Hara. Hello. Ben Travis. Hello. And James Dyer. Hello, Christopher. How are you all? Yeah, you know, I'm in yeah, quarantine yeah, after yeah. Cannes, but apart from that, I'm all good. I'm in quarantine after Kang. Hey! <laughs> well, we've all been to the Kang Film Festival. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh no. Oh no. <laughs> no, I'm doing wow. great. I'm like still buzzing off this episode. We've had to wait all day to record this spoiler special podcast and I've wanted to talk about it to many, many people and I've not spoken to anybody about it yet. So as ever, I'm full of feelings and ready to discuss them feelings. at great length. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, let's discuss it in a few seconds. But first, for the last time this series, to the recap. Recap! Finally. Cinema Universe, dude. Come on. It's all connected. It's all part of... Now the Kang has opened up the multiverse. Batman is now officially part of the MCU. Finally, Loki and Sylvie have reached the Citadel at the end of time. You just go to Watford, turn left. There you go. It was right there all the time. It was Heston Services. Once inside, they meet Miss Minutes. I knew it! I knew she was a badden. But she's not the big badden. 
It seems that honour belongs to someone else, someone she calls he who remains. But who? Who could it be? Could it be classic Loki? Could it be a Hiddleston variant we haven't yet met? Could it be Kang the Conqueror? Reed Richards? Mephisto? Ike Perlmutter? Who knows? Anyway, a door opens and reveals someone who looks a lot like Jonathan Majors, the actor (gasps) we know has been cast as Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp, The Return of Sonny Birch. Not that he's been officially confirmed or announced by Marvel, at least not a time of recording, but I imagine they will have released a statement probably by the time we finish. So is this Kang after all? Well, not quite. After Sylvie tries to kill him, during which he reveals that he has his very own temp pad, this character, who calls himself He Who Remains, has Loki and Sylvie take a seat while he prepares for a big old, he takes a big old run-up at a huge monologue. Meanwhile, back at the TVA, Mobius shows up to arrest Ravona Renslayer, who earlier had been given a series of important files by that meddlesome Miss Minutes, Arguing about right and wrong and free will, Mobius reveals that he knows her secret? That she is a variant of a schoolteacher on Earth, Fremont, Ohio, to be precise. He tries to take her in, but she overpowers him very easily. He's a bit rubbish at this, Mobius, quite frankly. Uh, Fires up a time door, steps through it, vowing to be the one in charge of everything and therefore the only one with free will. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he who remains tells Sylvie and Loki that he knows everything, not in a James Dyer or Helen O'Hara way, but more like... Patrick Stewart and extras is too late. He's seen everything. He explains that he is the victor of a vicious, or the last survivor certainly, of a vicious multidimensional war, a multiversal war, if you will, in which countless versions of himself, a 31st century scientist who essentially discovered the multiverse, fought for power. And that he's tired. He's tired, guys. He's tired. But much like you are after listening to six episodes of the spoiler specials. And that he wants to pass on the reins to someone else. And that someone else might be two people, Sylvie and Loki. But there's a catch, he says. Kill him and his control over the timeline will stop, which will lead to multiple branches and the introduction of his variants, none of whom, it's fair to say, are a picnic. Lenny claims that they have passed the threshold, a point in time where he no longer knows what is going to happen next. Loki, meanwhile, has been uncharacteristically quiet through all this. All the talky-talky has come from Kang. Sorry, he who remains. But the time for talky-talky-talky is over. Sylvie, who frankly doesn't believe a word that he who remains says, tries to kill him, but Loki stops her. He wants to take a second to think about what they've been told and muse on the ramifications for the universe. Sylvie thinks he just wants the power of the TVA for himself. The two fight and fight and fight some more. Finally, Loki with her sword at his throat, makes an impassioned plea. Sylvie thinks about it, and then plants a big old smacker on his lips, which doesn't blow up the universe, so once again, Time Cop lied to us, and uses Kang's tempad, sorry, he who remains his tempad, to send Loki back to the TVA. But not before reminding Loki, I'm not you. Ouch. Talk about kicking a guy where it hurts, am I right? Alone with he who remains, Sylvie doesn't waste time. She's wasted quite enough of that. She stabs him. His last words are, I'll see you soon. Dun, 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 dun. And then we leave her in the Citadel at the end of time as a single branch of the sacred timeline becomes many, many millions of branches. Back in the TVA, Mobius and B-15 watch the chaos unfolding, but they're ready for the future and what the future may hold. As is a heartbroken Loki who springs into action and rushes to find Mobius desperate to undo what has been done. But there's one right, last wrinkle. 
<laughs> oh my god, is that what this is going to be in season two? Quantum Lucky? Yes, please. <gasps> yes, Ziggy please. is a temp pad. Oh boy. Oh yes, oh, please. Ziggy is a temp pad. That sounds like a song. There's one last wrinkle. <clears throat> Mobius doesn't recognize him. And that, <gasps> along with Eugene Cordero's Casey being reclassified as a hunter, glimpsed briefly in the background, suggests that Loki has been returned to perhaps a different version of the TVA or a different point on the timeline. Hmm, we shall see. Distraught, Loki then notices that the statues of the timekeepers have been replaced by a statue of someone who looks very much like he who remains, wearing what looks very much like Kang the Conqueror's comic book costume. So there is a comic book faithful costume in this show after all. Well, bunches of them are actually. And that's that, folks. Loki ends on what can only be described as a bummer, a down note, with our anti-hero down and out, erased from history and without a second season in which to fight back. Give him another series, you shit. Luckily, lo and behold in a post credit sting that ever so subtly takes its time in setting up a future scenario, we get the news that there will be a second season of Loki and Breathe. Whew. Right, thanks for coming. <laughs> okay, okay, well, that was good. That was yeah, fun. fun. Fantastic. That was good. Good stuff. Uh, before we get into it, before we get into mm-hmm. the the episode, uh, I want to talk about general feelings. How are you all? You, you okay? I never ask you that, largely because <laughs> I don't care, but... <laughs> I don't feel I ask enough how my, my colleagues with such lethal cunning are doing, but this is, I think, different perhaps to the episode we had in our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a talkier, more talkier, more intimate, more reflective episode than I think we were expecting. There's no Mobius on a jet ski, much oh, to I everyone's we chagrin. But what do we make of the episode overall? Did it stick the landing? I do understand that Mobius on the jet ski would not necessarily fit the tone or visual style of the show. (laughs) And yet, and yet, I wanted it for him very much. I really... This is Reed Richards all over again, isn't it? This is... (laughs) This is... We have decided that this this series must end with Mobius on the jet ski and Kate Heron and Michael Waldron and everybody, they're like, we finished this literally months ago. We never planned to have Mobius on a jet ski. And then maybe they're frantically calling it on Wilson going... any chance you could get yourself down to green screen just in the next just for five minute. minutes. Yeah. yeah or just the to, coast. Um, or the coast. We'll yeah. send somebody with a GoPro. It'll be fine. <laughs> That'd be amazing. But yes. So yeah, so I was obviously disappointed by that. I was not disappointed by uh, Jonathan Majors turning up because I thought he was fucking fantastic. I absolutely loved his performance desperately. But I, I, you know, as expressed last week, I do have reservations about a big bad turning up only in the last episode. I, I don't think it's as elegant as I would have liked, but I do understand why they've done it. And we have discussed this at length and we'll discuss it, I'm sure, further today. So we'll get into that in a bit. Um, what I really liked about this episode, though, I really, really loved is that, you know, people keep talking about the MCU's problem with endings. People keep talking about the problem that it often comes down to a big flying thing versus another big flying thing, or a person versus a big flying thing, or something threatening the end of the world and chaos and stuff as we know it. And this one kind of comes down to a moral dilemma. And I love that about it. And I think that is great. And I think that is the alternative to superhero fatigue is basically to give people bigger emotional stakes at the end of a series rather than bigger explosions. I think that's absolutely something that that the MCU needs to do more of, needs to explore more. And I, I loved that for it. And I thought that in that respect, the episode was incredibly well balanced. I thought that Jonathan Majors came in, owned it, 
did brilliantly to set set up this this problem, this insoluble problem. And yeah, our heroes, you know, kind of failed to meet it or did meet it. I don't know. We can discuss that as well. But I I love that. I love that. So um yeah, I still have questions. I still have some things that we can talk out. But overall, I think they stuck the landing and I'm now firmly confirmed in my impression from about episode one that this is the best of the Marvel TV shows so far and it's not that close. Mm. Even between this and WandaVision. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know which, whether I preferred this to WandaVision or not. I mean, they were both incredible series, um, but I liked this finale a lot. And like Helen said, that kind of moral dilemma that it came down to all the way along, we've been saying there are various elements of this show that to me, in a good way, feel quite Doctor Who. And the fact that it came down to a conversation about the nature of time and a sort of moral quandary of like, are you going to do this or are you going to do that? And neither is really a great option. It's something that Doctor Who does really well mm. and that this did really well as well. I, I think if I have a reservation about the finale, it's that it it was the least sort of Loki-centric episode mm. of Loki. Mm-hmm. But like Helen, I loved Jonathan Major's performance. I thought he was really, really great. And the fact of kind of bringing him into the show and making him such a big part of this last episode, if you're going to have him be the person in the castle, give him a lot to do. And they really did. And having him as somebody to play off in this episode and what it means in the context of this series, but also for the audience knowing that there is much more of this guy to come. And it's setup that doesn't feel like setup that still to me felt like a sort of satisfying destination for this particular series. Um, so I thought it just juggled so many things so so well with like really, really great performances, amazing production design, like the Citadel looked amazing and I wanted to stay there for as long as possible. Hogwarts evil twin basically, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. Hogwarts, um, if it was like after the Battle of Hogwarts, they like Kintsugi'd it back together. Yes, exactly. It it really had. I like how lots, yeah, that kind of gold. It had Kylo Ren's helmet vibes a lot of the the place. Jimbo, what what did you think of this? Well, I I liked it. I found it anticlimactic. Prune him. But for obvious reasons, because it didn't answer the important questions, such as who indeed has got the figgy port, which we are still wondering at this point in the series. But I kind of, I was, I was psyched for resolution. I wanted to see what was going to happen. And obviously what we haven't got is resolution. What we've got is a cliffhanger leading into season two, which is delightful that we're getting a second season. I did kind of wonder where this episode was going to go. Obviously anyone who lived through the nineties will have no problem realizing that the uh, big bad was in fact a guy called John Major. But, um, you know, I, Hey, he wasn't the big bad. Let's be clear here in the nineties. Hey, who privatized the railways, Helen? Who privatized the railways? But the thing with this one is, I, I, I like, like I say, I liked it. I just, I think I wanted more from it. I like, I do love a talky episode, but I'm not sure I love a talky finale. Like I needed this to deliver something more than that. That said, there was a lot here I did like, and a lot here that I did enjoy. And at the risk of being a a, a Kang twat, oh god, obviously who we see him playing is not Kang, no, but more likely Immortus. Uh, who is, of course, future Kang, who teamed up with the Timekeepers in the comics and is well known for his temporal manipulation. Yes, indeed, pushing the glasses metaphorically up the nose. Also, the outfit that he wears when they see him is very Immortus outfit, right down to the disc on his chest. Whereas when we see Kang as the statue at the end, that's Kang. So the essential, she's killed Immortus, and then you get rid of Immortus, then we get Kang, or many Kangs, as has often been the case in the comic as well. So it's all rather complicated. But I liked all that, and I enjoyed that, because that felt familiar, and that felt like a really nice thing to give to fans. 
hands. I also thought there were a lot of lovely character moments in this. But I think this didn't give me that kind of sense of like buzzy delight that like the crazy previous episode did and that the, and the incredible episode before that did. So I think four and five for me were where this series peaked. This one, I think while a good episode was maybe not the best. So where do you guys want to start? Obviously, whoever it is, he who remains, Immortus, Kang, whoever that is, and it's obviously not the Kang that we're going to meet down the line. Mm. Uh, we could start with him because he's obviously the big splashy addition yeah. to the show, or we could start with our boy Loki. Um, because as, as Ben said, it's not. It, I'm fascinated by what they did with Loki in this episode, I have to say. Because for a man who is talky-talky-talky-talky-talky, he is, from the moment that he and Sylvie enter mm. the Citadel, he is reserved, he is somber, he feels like very different. He Obviously, this is a very different version of the character now than, than even back in episode one. Uh, but he feels like someone who is... Uh, dreading what's about to come, almost as if he's had a portent yeah. of what's about to come. Um, so maybe let's talk about Loki. Let's talk about our boy Loki first. It is, of course, after all, Loki. He's pretty much sincere the entire way through this episode. Mm. I don't think he lies. I don't think he tricks. I don't think he manipulates anybody at any point. No lies detected? No. And it's and it's odd, but I think it maybe is character growth. It maybe is development. He has just seen himself cause his own destruction like 10 ways from Sunday. He's seen himself as an alligator eat his own hand. You know, I mean, if anything's, if anything's going to cause show. a bit of a moral awakening, <laughs> what's, what is going to do it if not that? I mean, I think as well, you get that sense from him in this episode that he is sitting and listening because he has been through so much and he's like trying to avoid falling into the same old behaviours. Like mm. he is quite literally being offered a throne at the end of time to control everything, which is all that mm. he's ever wanted. And yet this whole series, he's seen that that is only going to lead him to misery and it's not going to mm. satisfy him in any way. So he is now being given this choice that is th theoretically all he would have ever wanted in the entire multiverse, and also thinking, if I do accept this, it's for a very specific reason, but how am I supposed to accept this, knowing that it's kind of going against everything that I've learned over the last five episodes? So I, I thought it was a really interesting place to put him in, because I felt it was really genuine when he said to Sylvie, I'm not doing this just because I want the throne, but it's also super okay of her to be like you're a dick you're loki you just want the throne because he is loki and pretty much any other loki would just want the throne yeah. um so I, I think it did really well to kind of even if he wasn't necessarily the focus of this episode to put him in a position that was really interesting especially mm -hmm. for this loki it draws a line under what we've already talked about in terms of the character growth throughout these six episodes. He has come such a long way, even further when you consider where he begins this, mm. as opposed to where we leave him in Infinity War. It's just incredible to see him, as you say, presented with everything he thought he wanted. I think that's the crucial thing, is what he always thought he wanted. But he comes to that realisation in episode one, I think, about who he really is as a person. And then this has been a continual growing experience for him. And I like the idea at the end that instead of choosing between the greater good... And the greater your good. the greater good, the greater and good. your heart's desire. He has to choose between you know the greater good, which is his good. heart's desire, the and then good. potentially what actually happens. So yeah, 
Yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting little moral moral quandary. It's a very mature episode. Mm. This it's mm. very you know it's again it's it's subverting people's expectations. It's mm. going to a more cerebral route. I mean, maybe we should have been tipped off to that by the beginning, where we hear you know everyone from Nelson Mandela to Maya Angelou, and then we see like the universe imploding and two black holes, two black holes, two universes colliding. Fox and Disney, who knows? Um, <laughs> lots going on there. Lots going on. Did you just say a, a much more cerebral episode? The X Men. Oh, yes. Oh, 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 my <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> On an episode oh of the Empire Podcast, Cerebral was confirmed as being part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, save us. So at what point in his evolution as a character? Fascinated to hear all of you weigh in on this. Uh, because I think there's there at what point did this more selfless version of Loki truly form? For example, I think if you offer him at the end of episode two the throne of the TVA and mm. the chance to govern everything. He takes it. So mm. at what point does he not take it? Does he take it in episode three? Does he maybe be a bit wobbly about it in episode four? What's what's the moment that really that really changes everything for him? I think it's Sylvie. It's I think Sylvie. she's the catalyst oh. for all of this. It's how she makes him she makes him a better man, Chris. Oh, That's what it is. She makes him want to be a better man. Indeed. Like but there's there's an element of self discovery there that he has A, he has feelings for another person, which is unlike Loki. Uh, but also she's she's on, on the one point she's sort of like someone he fixates on, but also she's a mirror for his part of his character as well. Mm. Yeah. And I think spending time with her fundamentally just changes who he is. And that's articulated in the in the kind of throne room scene here, you know, when they're trying to kill each other. There's there's a yeah, it's a weird I don't think it's just Sylvie. I think I think the weird thing about Loki is that he has always known better, and he's done it anyway because he feels mm. like that's all he can do. And and I think that the last few episodes and the experiences that he's had over the course of this series have given him reason to to kind of say, "All right, enough. I can't kind of indulge this side of myself anymore. I need to like grow the fuck up a little bit." I think I think he's I think there's always been a bit of him that that was self aware. Because mm. otherwise he wouldn't have like he he you know he did the way he spoke to Mobius in episode one it showed self awareness the way he spoke mm. after the encounter with Lady Sif in the in the time loop showed yeah, awareness he has the awareness and even the way he's spoken to Thor in the past he knows what and who he is but he's never necessarily believed that he could change and I think seeing other variants of him seeing old Loki particularly classic Loki and seeing Sylvie have really helped. I think Sylvie is important, you're right, but I think she's important because he sees some of his worst tendencies in her and some of his best. He sees that she's been abused and, and abandoned and has far more to complain about than he does actually in his life and yet kind of keeps going. And I think he, there's an element of wanting to keep her safe because it's a bit like, you know, making up for some of his own pain as well, maybe. Um, but you know, it's almost like he's taking care of his inner child by taking care of her, not in a creepy way. Given the case, no, I know what you mean. Anyway, yeah, yeah, you know, I know what I mean. mean right? He's 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 seeking in a way, maybe even not consciously, validation yeah. by by protecting her. A yeah, I think bit, so. Which yeah. is interesting, but it's also, I mean, there's there's a the you know several times in the first couple of episodes, we're told that it's not his story. Mobius says it's not your story. Mm. Sylvie even says at the end of episode two that it's not about you. So maybe it makes sense that this episode not, not about him. puts him into the background, but yeah, mm. but sidelines him to an extent. Yeah, maybe. And and that his realization in this episode is, yeah, it's not about me. I, if I'm taking up this position, it's about 
all of time yeah. and the responsibility of universes splitting and this horrible uh, intergalactic multi-dimensional despot kind of coming into the fray. So I, mm. I think when he's facing that choice, it genuinely isn't about him for him for maybe the first time. I, I think Lady Sif was a really interesting choice as well. Like that in some ways was quite a small thing, but I think there's something about her as a character where it's like, hey, this is someone he's known basically his entire life who he's mm. like grown up with, where it's not just somebody he's met in the last couple of days. Like this is somebody who sort of knows who you are and where you came from and what you were like and who you've always been. And I think there's maybe an extra power of realization of him being trapped in that loop, even though she's not exactly the most pivotal character in the MCU. I think it was quite an interesting choice to pick somebody from from yeah from way back when yeah. um as a character for him uh to kind of bounce off yeah very good point i also loved his uh final speech to sylvie where you know he says i'm sure we all wrote this down as well but you know stop i've been where you are i felt what you feel don't ask me how i know all i know is i don't want to hurt you i don't want a throne i just want and i thought it was really interesting that you know i thought he was going to say i just want you but he can't bring himself to say that for whatever reason. But you know, I thought Hiddleston was fantastic in that moment. But he, he goes, I just want you to be okay. That's very interesting. That choice of words, mm. I thought. Yeah, again, it's protective and not um, greedy. He's not asking for himself. He's not saying, I just want you, which is romantic, but sort of possessive almost. And fucking weird because she's him. So, yeah, so I think we're just going to hand wave the slightly incestuous element of their relationship and and just take it as it is. It's two damaged people who have found each other despite everything in the galaxy, seemingly, you know, mitigating against it and have some kind of connection. And I think that I just want you to be okay rather than I just want you, I think is, you know, it's it's selfless in a way that mm. it shows, you know, good things about his character right now. But that's it, isn't it? That extra word, that extra word changes it from a very selfish statement mm. to a completely selfless one. Mm. And again, sort of underscores how much he has changed. Yes, it's, it's, it's a lovely moment. It is a lovely moment. With, with the kiss that follows, I think she's kind of more Loki than Loki at that point, because that kiss, I think there is genuinely something between them. But at the same time, it is a manipulation. She uses that kiss mm. to get him where she wants him to be so that she can get him to fuck off and then she can stab he who does whatever so uh, it was interesting like when they kissed i was like oh my god they've kissed is this is like this is weird but kind of sweet but then instantly it kind of turns into this other moment of kind of her getting one up on him which felt like quite a low-key thing to do even if there is something real behind it but there is also yeah there, there's also a sincerity there and there's also maybe a, a possible desire to protect him i think and and you know she doesn't want to fight him any more than he wants to fight her i think at that moment there's a desire to save his life. Yes, to do what she wants to do, to do the things she's been obsessed with for mm -hmm. millennia, but she gets him out of the way in a non-lethal manner. She saves him, she protects him, she sends him somewhere she thinks he'll be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't have to do any of that. So I think there is a, an element of care on her part as well. It's not just a trick, again. It's interesting, isn't it, that uh, you, you talk about that being a very Loki trait, Ben, because he who Kangs uh, says, makes a point of calling her Loki, mm. which she doesn't like. We know she doesn't mm. like that. But he's like, no, you're Loki. You are Loki. That's what it is. Then you're Kang, you hypocritical bastard. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's not Ben. 
he who remains and suddenly is a is a different character in the comics. It's an old wrinkly guy mm. at the end of time who lives in the Citadel at the end of time. Yeah. Just thought I'd throw that out there. But they've kind of conflated him with Immortus in this. Can I just say, James, um, I won't ruin your squadcast name this week, but I'm sad that you didn't go with He Who Explains. That was there for the taking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and see, now I'm sad. <laughs> it's always oh. time to change it. There's always time to change it. <laughs> so, so can we talk about the identity of He Who Remains? Because Indeed. I, I will say, like, my, my biggest quibble, well, uh, two quibbles with them introducing Kang when we discussed it this, you know, last week, we discussed this possibility. One quibble was why would you introduce your big bad at this stage in the game? And of course, the answer to that is maybe he's not a big bad, mm. question mark. Second of all was, you know, we historically these shows have been uh, supplementary material for the for the movies. They have not actually, for the most part, introduced stuff that is essential to have seen before the movie comes out. So yes, we did get Monica Rambeau's backstory, but, you know, if she turns up fully formed as a supporting character, I don't think people are going to be like, what? What's going on? There'll be a little bit of an introduction for her in the film. But to introduce the big bad of one of the movies did seem like a bigger deal to me. And right enough, they haven't, technically. No, although although it depends when season two airs, isn't it? Because Quantumania is out at the beginning of 2023. So if we did get another Loki next year, then theoretically they could explore the Kangness of it Theoretic, that. that seems extremely unlikely with their schedule. I think I think we're looking at that post quantum mania, don't you? But then, that, presumably, then that then that means that uh, that Kang will be around at the end of quantum mania, perhaps, or there could be more than one around for a while. I think Kang or yeah. Kangs will be around yes. all the way through phase four. Yeah, I think that's yeah. probably right. starting with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Yes. and I think there's a reason why Jonathan Majors obviously hasn't. I don't. Well, again. If he has been officially confirmed by the time you listen to this, then fair enough. But he, there's been no real official casting announced for Doctor Strange, bar the returning cast from the first movie. Benedict Cumberbatch, Rachel McAdams, Juwatel Ejiofor, Benedict Wong, plus, as we know, Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, and the young actress playing America Chavez, Xochitl Gomez. And if I've mispronounced that, then I apologise. I think there might be a reason for that. And one of the reasons we were talking about who's the big bad of Doctor Strange 2. Well, what if it's Kang or a Kang? And then there's mm. another Kang, a different Kang in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And then another Kang somewhere else. I don't think <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder. I don't think Thor Love and Thunder. And I don't think Guardians 3. But there might be Kangs popping up all over the shop now in Phase 4 <laughs> stuff. Mm. Which is going to be, A, good for Jonathan Majors. Keep busy. <laughs> yeah. mm. Um, and he could get a real chance to show off his, you know, different qu- different uh, strings to his bow. That's for sure. Different arrows in his yeah. quiver. Um, what, yeah, you think it, he'll it be could in be Hawkeye? very interesting. I think he'd be in Hawkeye. <laughs> Listen, he might well be in Spider-Man No Way Home. We don't know. We don't know. So yeah. there's there's every possibility. But that is my that's my feeling is that we're going to get a shitload of yeah. things. I would not. Yeah, I would not discount that. Absolutely. But I think it's interesting that they they did walk that line. They have introduced, let's say, a Kang. Yeah. But not the Kang. And I think, you know, they've they've continued to walk this line where the TV shows are giving you something, they're giving you a reason to watch them. There is absolutely 100% a reason to get your Disney Plus subscription and watch these shows if you're a Marvel fan. But they're also leaving it open so countries that don't have Disney Plus yet or people who don't subscribe can still follow a through line in the films and and it will still make sense on its own. 
Mm, I'll be interested to see if the subsequent Kangs that we see, like a big bad type Kang, is as playful as this Kang, mm. uh, and whether or not that will work. Like I, I liked what Majors did with Kang, I really, or with Immortus, however you want to do it. Um, I really liked it. Will he replace my beloved Thanos? Oh, Unlikely. But uh, but I, I did like him. And also I like the fact that while we didn't get Mephisto, technically we now have a Disney Plus Marvel series that does end kind of with Reed Richards. So that's nice. Because Kang is a descendant of, of Reed Richards. That's true. Kang's yes. name yes, is Nathaniel. He is a Richards, Richards, isn't he? Yes, yeah. indeed. Yes, yeah. good point, Jimbo. Good point. It's all building towards Reed Richards. That's Fantastic what it's all. Fantastic Four confirmed. <laughs> That's right. Well, honestly, it makes sense. It makes sense for if they're going to have the FF in the uh, in Phase Four, then it makes sense for that to build to Kang. And what I'm wondering is, is it going to build to another Avengers movie at at some point? And is it going to are they going to have to stop a a shitload of scrolls and a shitload of Kangs? Uh, at the same time, and that makes it different from Thanos, which is one mm. bad guy in one place that he's trying to get, you know, the the MacGuffin. Thing, what if yeah. what if Kang is the MacGuffin that they they have to? But he's also a MacGuffin who's a who's a bad guy. I don't know. It's all very exciting. What if some of him are good guys? Oh but, but my that's god! That's it. Immortus is canonically kind of a good guy, and in this, you didn't get the impression he was necessarily villainous. He was very much a my way is the right way. I'm bringing order to chaos by making everyone do what I wish, which, frankly, I can sign on to. But, um, <laughs> you know, but he wasn't villainous in that kind of moustache-twirling, sadistic way. Well, no, because no. he didn't have a moustache. True. He, he did have that line, one of my favourite lines in the episode, where he's like, we're all villains here. <laughs> then with both of the <laughs> That's Lokis. That's true, and I like that, because he's absolutely right, isn't he? Like, both Lokis are villains, and, yeah. you know. And I think he's aware that, like, even if he's less vi- villainous than his variant counterparts, there is a large thread of villainousness throughout all of them and that he is basically responsible for everything that's happened so i think it's interesting to see that he doesn't play the role of the villain but he understands that he basically is a villain mm-hmm. i mean i think just um on what helen was saying in terms of the fact that they have introduced kang and kind of haven't at the same time and for me i think it's really interesting that with this disney plus show instead of it being supplemental what they've done is like you look at the upcoming stretch of films it's Shang-Chi, it's Eternals, it's like stuff that people don't really know, but they've taken the thing that is the most sort of popular, enduring character in the MCU, and in his show, that very, like many people will be watching because it's the recognisable thing, they've used that to teach you what is happening going forward. So they've used that to introduce you to the fact that there will be multiple versions of characters to introduce this idea of the timeline splitting. I think it's really interesting that shift in weight of like, oh, on the one hand, this is a series rather than a movie, but at the same time, they've picked a character who is massively popular as the vehicle to kind of get people primed for everything that's going to come mm-hmm. going forwards. Isn't it interesting that Loki is the delivery mechanism for both big bads so far. If indeed hmm. Kang is the big bad for the MCU going forward into phase four, maybe even into phase five, when I presume we'll all be dead by that point, but then we get to start <laughs> around to phase five. But, you know, he was the he was a delivery mechanism for, for Thanos, and now he's a delivery mechanism for Kang. And so it almost feels to me, especially this version of Loki, the version of our Loki, hero Loki, Hiddleston Loki, whatever you want to call him, at the end of the at the end of this episode, isn't a bad guy per se, I would say, anymore. But there's certainly something about taking Loki, whose villainy has always been of a kind of... Yeah, it's been always been born of petulance and mischief, obviously. Yes, he wanted to rule the world, but who hasn't, at some point, wanted to do that? 
But he everybody hasn't... wants to rule the world, Chris. <laughs> I, I I was afraid of that. Uh, yeah. But you know, he it's about taking this bad guy and then comparing and contrasting him and throwing him to sharp relief next to a real bad guy. So Thanos wants to destroy half the universe. God knows what this Kang or Kangs are, are going to be capable of. But Feige, when I interviewed him for the, the magazine, he did say that Loki would have the biggest impact of all these Disney Plus shows on the MCU to date. And I think he's ab- he was absolutely right. He knew what was coming. Obviously, he produces the thing. And what is coming is essentially Kang open worms everywhere. Yes. <laughs> Wormholes everywhere. Hey. Hey, boom. We'll workshop it. We'll get there in the end. Can, can we talk about the wormholes, by the way? Because I, I, I need to go Not back and watch this again. But I, <laughs> uh, I watched the opening of this episode twice because I was like trying to follow whereabouts in the galaxy we were in the universe or whatever mm. we were going. So we sort of zoomed out of our universe through a black hole and next to that black hole was another black hole. And we kind of then went into the like circle around that black hole, which was indeed the was the time stream because we saw that's what was branching off at the end and that was going around the castle. I was trying to get my head around like where this is taking so, place. So here's my take on this. I don't think we should go to the MCU for physics. Um, <laughs> now, I know this will be controversial Instead, and I apologize. Instead, we go to the fast universe for physics. <laughs> exactly. Indeed. Indeed. Um, but no, my, 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 my reasoning for this, I genuinely do have some, which is just that I think it they just went with what looks cool. I don't think this is necessarily meant to be anywhere in space because space and time are linked. And therefore, it wouldn't make sense that this is within space-time, like as a physical mm, place. Yeah. I think it has to be outside space-time in some fashion. And I think that's what the images that we're showing is are meant to kind of convey in a way. Also, because they they said that that was a neutron star and Thor, and like that doesn't make any sense because they wouldn't be able to stand up if they were anywhere near that a neutron <laughs> star that big. Like it just doesn't it, it can't work. So so I just don't think that their physics are a hundred percent. And again, I'm not a physicist. If there are physicists out there who are like, all right, what are you talking about? The MCU has amazing physics, and that is exactly what an Einstein Rosenbridge looks like. I'd look forward to hearing from you. What is time, Helen, if not space perseverance? <laughs> but it, it, that's true, though. <laughs> a couple of things occurred to me as well with this this episode. Um, and don't worry, we're not going to go into spoilers for Black Widow, because we're going to be very aware that people haven't seen Black Widow yet, even though it's been out for a week. Honestly, what's your excuse? You lazy gets. Uh, but this episode very much, I think, tackles directly two of the key themes of Phase 4. Now we're a few entries into phase four. I think it's becoming clear some of the thematic concerns that are being explored here. One of them is free will, clearly. There's a big discussion about that all the way through six episodes of, um, what's it called? Loki. <laughs> of Loki. <laughs> that was written. I was meant to do that. That was been written by someone at the sure, end sure. of time. I was meant to stumble over it and forget the name of the show we were discussing. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, free will is a big part of WandaVision as well, because she has imprisoned mm. the the residents of Westview. Mm-hmm. And it's a big part, without going into details, of Black Widow also. Mm. Uh, another thing of Phase 4 is examining the red in our heroes' ledgers. So, Loki, Wanda, Bucky, Natasha, they've all done horrible things. Mm. And Loki has never pretended to be a hero, of course. Uh, you know, the, the evolution towards being a hero is one of the most interesting things about this season and this episode. 
But, you know, there's a line in Black Widow, I don't think this is a huge spoiler, about, you know, how people perceive, little girls perceive Natasha to be a hero, but she's actually just a stone-cold killer. And historically a villain who got reformed. She was quite quickly mm, redeemed in the comics. Yes. So it's about, I think, really digging deeper into the idea of consequences and into the idea of of heroism and and realising that there's a lot of murky grey beneath the primary colours. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good thing. I think I mean look, the um the ungenerous online have suggested that this is a theme but they're not doing it well, but I think if they're going to be exploring it kind of longer term then, you know, it it'll all add up in a way. And also these are still big comic book movies and big comic book TV shows. So I'm not sure how deep you can go, and I look forward to finding yeah. out, I think. What Wanda did at the end of WandaVision was by any stretch a villainous act. And yet, it, again, we got these hand waves. It's going to slightly hand wave it because, you know, she's an Avenger and she's mm. heroic and she mostly means well and it's fine. So you're absolutely right. We're not going to get that that deep, dark, psychological roll around in the dirt, I think, with these characters. Uh, they're not going to be, they're going to receive mild slaps in the wrist, mild rebukes, yeah. I think, rather than necessarily being imprisoned or or really, really properly punished for their crimes. But it's still interesting, I think, that still, they're, yeah. they're going and it's, there. It's still, yeah, it's still a good thing to tackle and it's still an attempt to evolve the, you know, the format. Because there used to be, and I've written about this back in the day on, on the Empire blog, but there used to be a real formula for superhero movies where number one was obviously an origin story, number two was about giving up powers, and number three was going <laughs> bad. Or sometimes swapped slightly in the sense of um, for The Dark Knight, for example, you could argue two is a bit him going bad or thinking about it with the whole spying on everybody, and, and number three is is him giving up and, and having to take up the cowl again. But generally, that like that was a that was kind of a rough guide that happened over and over again, and it kept, kept coming up, it kept coming up with Spider-Man and Superman and... Um, all of these films. And what the MCU has done is kind of freed us from the this very, very limited view of what superhero movies can do. And yes, it hasn't gone all the way into high drama and the nuance and, uh, you know, depth of a Chekhov play. But I do feel like they're, they are making a real effort to mm. broaden what you can do with superhero movies. And and Absolutely. I know that, you know, the Nolan fans are shouting at you like right now going, so did Christopher Nolan. Yes, so have many other filmmakers but on this scale, with this level of success over this long a period, mm-hmm. the, you know, the MCU is is trying something it doesn't really have to do. It could try and coast by. And I think the mm-hmm. fact that it's still trying to evolve and still trying to tackle things is a good thing and is the one thing that's going to encourage, you know, that's going to ensure that it stays around long term. But even in terms of the formula, we've, we're only three shows into the MCU Disney Plus stuff and already people were going, oh, it's a formula. We know what's going to happen. So this season's going to end with Loki getting a new costume so they can flog a new toy and he's going to get a power glow up as well. And already, obviously, these things are made relatively concurrently so that I don't think they can react necessarily to what people have said about WandaVision or or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But already the show is an awareness. You know, Feige and his team, Michael Waldron and Kate Heron on this show and the writing staff, they're all very, very clever. And they I think they can in some ways predict what the reactions are going to be to certain things and then move left when you want to move right. But also, you know, if you want to talk about formula with these things, classically we're told there's only seven stories. Right. And I'm always reminded, watch, you know, watching these shows, I'm reminded of a, a quote Peter Buck, the REM guitarist, once said, which is basically like there's only seven types of songs as well. And he says, we play three of them really, really well. 
<laughs> but the thing about the thing that you know makes sense is apart from other bands is that we never stop striving for the fourth. And I think that's what the MCU is in a way. Yes, there's formula. Yes, it's convention. Yes, it's a blockbuster. Yes, it's popcorn. Yes, we have to, you know, please people in China and uh, Idaho as well at the same time with the same piece of entertainment. That's not that's not that's not easy, folks. That is not easy. But they never stop striving for the fourth. I think. And I think shows like this and WandaVision, which were wildly experimental and do really, really interesting things with their characters, are evidence of that. And that extra layer of sort of meta-ness in all of this as well, because I loved how playful WandaVision was and that it was a TV show about the nature of TV shows and levels of reality and constructed reality and sitcoms and all of this stuff. And at the same time, for me, this ultimately did kind of come down to the the man in the castle effectively being Kevin Feige effectively being some grand storyteller who is aware of where all the plots are heading and excited about the possibilities of what comes next that you get to the end of this episode. And he's like, I don't know what happens from here. And that he there's even that exchange with him and, and Loki where he's like, oh, you had to go through the journey to have the character change in order to be here. Yes. It's like all of this, these levels of self-awareness, but it's not in a smug way. I think it just feels like them being really playful in telling stories about telling stories as one of the dominant storytelling forces in the world at the moment. And that's, that's cool as hell to me. I love that. We've talked about that as well, haven't we? We talked about how WandaVision, how Jack Schaefer saw that as being about a showrunner. Like Wanda was a showrunner and had mm. all the problems that come with being a showrunner. And this <laughs> is very much that. This is about Kevin Feige. This is about how difficult it is you know, the money helps, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. You know, but this is how difficult it is to be Kevin Feige. Of course, the the the, the flying ointment of all this gushing over how experimental and bold and brave they are is that Falcon and the Winter Soldier wasn't great. But anyway, let's but move it on. Tried something. It tried something, and yeah. I just don't think it it quite nailed everything that it tried to do. I, I think that was one where. Weirdly, it didn't feel like they had enough time. And I don't know why they didn't. And I, I don't think they used their time as effectively as they could have done. But it felt like the ideas were all there, the, the pieces were all on the board, and then they just didn't. And in fairness, it probably has the greatest performance in the MCU to date, the Emmy-nominated Don Cheadle. Don Cheadle. Uh, congratulations <laughs> Don to Don Cheadle. Uh, he did it. Yes, yes. indeed. If, if you could put Don Cheadle in your, in your awards, then put Don Cheadle in your awards. It doesn't matter whether he was in the episode for that long or did anything of any note. Just give the guy a nomination. He's done fucking Jadel. And we know that we're deliberately mispronouncing Jadel in case people haven't seen Barb and Star. All right. <laughs> Whew, God, All I have right. to cover a lot of bases here. Anyway, so let's talk about some other stuff. We've talked about, uh, we have talked enough about Sylvie. Have we talked about enough? Is there such a thing as enough? Yes. <laughs> Can you ever have enough, Sylvie? That shot of her going in for the kill in slow-mo was mm. cool as hell. Mm. I yeah. loved it. It was awesome. My other favourite shot was that kind of twizzly slow-mo shot of Loki and Sylvie walking through mm. the halls of the Citadel as well. Like super, super stylish. I know we had one of those, was it last week? Uh, of them in the TVA and all those kind mm. of, yeah, twizzly yeah. shots. But, but like so Black cool. Panther as well. Mm. Yeah, yeah, setting into yeah. the throne room. And of course, that's that's one of the things that's playing on, isn't it? The idea that you know, with with that sound montage at the beginning that we so perfectly recreated in our <laughs> own inimitable fashion, uh, you know, it's very much about this is at a point in time where everything that has ever happened will ever happen, everything that is going to happen has already happened as well. So it's this this really, yeah, really interesting nexus of time. I thought that was a nice little touch. Yeah. And I think I also love the pause outside the front door, you know, where she's suddenly on the verge of achieving what she has spent millennia trying to achieve and bringing down the person behind the TVA. And 
needs to take a minute. Love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. Uh, and I love how much she's not willing to entertain any of He He Remains, well, I'm not going to say BS, but spiel, because he might be telling mm. the truth. I think but he you is. get the sense from her that she has spent so long trying to kill him or or what he represents that she's completely blinded to absolutely anything else. Like she is, you know, for better or worse, consumed by her glorious purpose, and her glorious purpose mm-hmm. is to end him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think almost nothing he says and nothing Loki says can derail her from that because she's too too single minded. And, and there is also that just great quote about the two of them. You know, she can't trust and just Loki can't be trusted. She, and mm. I think that's true. I think she she yeah. fundamentally cannot trust what he says. She cannot do it. She does not have it no. in her. And you see that brought to life really, really well here. Mm. And you also see that that's kind of her tragedy. Like as soon as she, I think as soon as she stabs him, I think she knows it was the wrong yeah. thing to do. I think she knows it immediately. Ooh, and that wink that he's he gives. stuck with it. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Wink is a real shit yourself moment. When the kiss happens, I think she's maybe broken through that i think by that point she does kind of trust him and ironically he can be trusted at that point she just disagrees with him mm. and isn't prepared to entertain it anymore and she's like you're you've had you said your piece now fuck off and let me kill this guy it's about she won't let the uh, it's about whether the universe wouldn't let loki change i won't let go of his notions of of who loki is it's interesting mobius got to that point mobius got to that point where you know he was always you know he was very much a student of loki he was very much someone who was like you're gonna stab me in the back man and and then suddenly he is at the point where he sees him as a friend yeah yeah that's interesting and then hmm. not of course yes at the who end of is this, this guy yeah. you're an analyst yeah. right <laughs> okay so so let's talk about that a little bit i want to talk mm. about because i think mobius was perhaps somebody got a bit of short shrift this week i mean i was i was all amped up for him to go and take down the tva brick by brick although we, we've said in the past that that would be very much repeating the shield and sword yeah dynamic mm. already so it's interesting that the tva is still knocking around and our heroes are still very much embedded within it but he goes. He goes to see uh, Ravona this week. Gets his ass kicked very, very quickly. Has a nice debate, but obviously doesn't get a jet ski at any point uh, at all. But that end, the end where he doesn't recognize Loki, raises a lot of questions. Mm. So, what is your take, first of all, on what is happening here? Why that's a statue of Kang, yeah, and not a statue of the Timekeepers? And last one, how did you feel? about the way the show ended before you saw the post-credits thing see it feels it feels a little bit to me like they've they've spooned it a little bit in the end game way where they can't decide what merit method of temporal mechanics they're kind of hewing to in this because on the one hand you think oh no it's fine that's changed because they've changed the past but that only works if you're talking in a linear timeline which this whole show is about the opposite of that so actually and given that the tva is outside of time yeah. it should be completely unchanged by what happens also technically what they did happened at the end of time so no, no, what no, effect does that have no, going backwards? That's not, no, that clearly isn't going to be the case, is it? Like, come on. Um, so first of all, I think that, uh, yes, the TVA is out of time. In my head, like what's REM's happened here? Like REM's seventh album? Very much yes. like, that's what Just I've always like thought. That. Exactly. This is a big REM-centric Automatic podcast. Automatic for the TVA. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the TVA is out of time. I think that... So the image in A Tale of Time City, which might be helpful at this point, and I know I bang on about it, but I fucking love that book, is that time is like an almost <laughs> loop, right? So it's like an almost loop. There's a gap in the middle, and the gap in the middle like 
you know, the bit where the loop would close like the diamond, but the, it, the loop doesn't quite meet, is where Time City sits. So it st- sits between the beginning and end of the universe, right? So if you think about mm-hmm. the Citadel being The perineum there, of the universe. Is that, oh, what, you're, no, is that what you're that saying? that is not what I'm saying. <laughs> Ooh, that is the temporal taint. Absolutely not. Where, <laughs> oh God, that one's going to oh, stick, isn't Jesus. it? I can tell it's going to stick. But also, it's like the opposite of that. Like it's a, it's a gap. <laughs> between the yeah. bum hole and the, bomb and the ball sack. Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. That's where the system exists. Okay. Anyway, my point being, it is outside time. So <laughs> Kang, the Kang that has clearly taken over and reshaped the TVA in his own image, must be powerful enough to have altered the timeline of a place that is outside time. But it has its own internal timeline. We've kept coming back to it in a sort of steady, you know, time has progressed there in a, in a linear steady fashion, manner. Yes. Yeah, in a linear fashion. So we come back to it in a linear fashion. So we have to assume that Loki has gone back to it in a linear fashion and find it changed, which means that the Kang who wins, or a Kang who wins, has gotten there before him and fundamentally changed it from the inside. But the fact that the Kang that is killed, the, that he who remains no longer, the remains of he who remains, is at the <laughs> end of the universe and the end of time, doesn't have any bearing on anything because the Citadel clearly leads to all of time, and also all of time has now branched. Well, I hope that's Everyone clear. Everyone clear now? Good. Anyway, again, if there are any physicists listening who have better takes on this, please, please do let us know. Kip Thorne, please come on the next podcast. So, Eugene Cordero, and I wonder if there was a scene with him where mm. Loki gets to see him and sees that Casey has been reimagined in some way, is now a hunter. He's credited as Hunter D4 or something, I don't know, uh, at the end of the credits. And also, if you listen very carefully, when, uh, when Mobius is talking to B-15, he says he... You know, in terms of their big boss, he says he, not she, mm-hmm. not they. He doesn't refer to the timekeepers. He says he. Yeah. So that would indicate that, yes, a Kang is now in charge of the mm-hmm. TVA and is perhaps more openly out there as Kang. Yeah. But I mean, they've fascinated. got a big so, statue of him. So, okay. So this is where I'm bumping my head slightly. Right. So we see Sylvie at the end. Sylvie at the yes. end stabs he who immortalizes Kang. Yes. So she is in, in theory, she unleashes all, all the Kangs. Because all the Kangs have been hiding out uh, or waiting. But once you know, once the guy who controls the main timeline dies, so all the other timelines then suddenly. Yeah, it's not that the other Kangs were hiding or waiting no, or no, something. No, they, it's that, they didn't it, exist, yeah. so to speak. It's that yes. all of the timelines, all of the possible branches now branch immediately. So all of the possible branches that ever could have branched yeah. have now branched. So he's so, been holding them all in check. Yeah, because he's like genuinely the most powerful character we've seen. Right today, because well, he he well, weaponizes Elias yeah. to get the upper hand, doesn't yeah. he? And then he culls the timelines to stop any of them from becoming a threat. Exactly. Okay, was my understanding. Right. So, Sylvie stabs him. Yeah. Unleashes the multiverse. Yeah. What's she? What happens to her? Where 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 is Sylvie? We've left her it, in the Citadel at the end of the universe. Right, mm. but is she not then in charge of the TVA? Because isn't the idea that she's she hasn't taken over as as the head of the TVA, and then she doesn't have to have done. No, okay. I don't think that was an option at that point. I think okay. it's, everything's gone tits up now that she's uh, now that It's she's one killed. or t'other. So you either take bit. over his TVA and he'll go off and you know yeah. into retirement and watch Countdown mm. and fall to bed and all that sort of stuff. The things that retired people, retirees and freelancers do. I've never or, watched Fall to Bed. I don't know what it is. Fall to Bed is, you know full well what Fall to Bed is. I do that, not. That, 
You it's don't come with me for bed and breakfast. I don't know what it's it is. So is it? It's so good. It is so good. It's basically yeah, four B and B owners or hoteliers. We, I feel like we didn't ask. Visit each other's hotels and mm. then they they stay and they mark each other out of ten and they do things like they yeah. they swipe their fingers along the tops of wardrobes to check for dust wow. and it all I, I gets really petty. I wish I could really go back petty. in the timeline and, and stop yeah. this branching off. Into I can also recommend Instant Hotel on Netflix, which stop is an Australian oh version with Airbnbs. Don't so make good. me prune the pair of you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so so Sylvie, so you think now she's left in the Citadel at the end of time, but she has a temp pad, so she can uh, no, get I'm around still? No, I'm not saying still. she's stranded there. I'm just saying yeah. that's the last place that we see her, and we have no reason to think that she would want to take over the TVA. When Loki suggested as much, she was like, fuck that, they're going mm. down. So okay. even if Miss Minutes immediately appeared once she killed he who didn't remain in the end, um, and said, hey, no, I belong to you now. She'd be like, fuck you, fuck off. I don't want any part of it, presumably, right? So, right. except probably with less F words because, you know, Disney Plus. Disney so, Plus, um, not Star. Yeah, Disney fewer Plus. F words, I should say. Anyway. Fuck it. So yeah, so she has left a, a power vacuum. And even if she hadn't, I think we're Dyson, meant to think again. that... <laughs> even if she hadn't, I think we're meant to think that a Kang, one of the Kangs, the Uber Kang, whoever wins the Kang fight... Um, would take over anyway. King Kang, presumably. King Kang, if you will. Yes, okay. So, versus okay. Godzilla. Godzilla, yes. yes. So King Kang oh versus God, Godzilla and all the other Kangs and took all over and gained enough power to gain control of the TVA, let's say. So, the end of the show. Sure. They go back. Loki is in the time theatre. And we see, before that, we see Mobius and B-15 having a conversation and they're watching the multiverse branch out and they're like, okay, well, this is fine. That's our Mobius, right? That's so. Is this a different Mobius and a different B fifteen at the end, or has Loki been erased from the timeline? What is your theory about what's happening? The timeline oh. of the TVA itself has been altered. Mm. The sacred timeline. The sacred timeline of the TVA. Itself. Well, there's a different timeline. Come on, James. That's confusing the issue. The timeline of the TVA is not the sacred timeline. The TVA is outside the sacred timeline, but the timeline yeah, but the of the TVA the has of also the, yeah. been altered. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean yeah. then that Loki is trapped in a loop? He's like Loopy. So the next time, Snooker, Loopy, Nuts are we, me and you and him and me. So we have to, so the next series, he's going to have to persuade Mobius of his story. He's going to have to say, I'm a god of mischief and I was, yes, I was a variant and I was taken to the TVA and you're all variants and blah, 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 blah. And this guy's actually bad. Yes. So we have to take him down again. So, so the Mobius that we knew, that lovely relationship, that touching relationship, between Mobius and Loki, which finished with last week's very heartfelt hug and goodbye. Is that gone? Is that Mobius gone? Maybe. But yes. maybe not. I think yes. I think yes, but I feel like we're into timey-wimey stuff right now, ha. to quote the other show again. And I think that there is always a possibility of, you know, memories being blah, 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 and whatever, whatever. Maybe. Maybe. But you kind of feel that that's that timeline no longer exists, so... It seems that way, yeah. Yeah. Miss Minutes knows everything, though, I reckon. <gasps> I reckon Miss Minutes Miss knows. Minutes. I think Damn she remembers her. everything. Because also, we, we should talk about Miss Minutes as well, because Miss Minutes, what did she give to Renslayer? What did Kang want her to have that was more useful than what she asked for that she then read and then fucked off through a portal, not killing Mobius as she could have done? So I think that's an insurance questions. policy of some sort, but by... Kang slash Immortus slash whoever. I feel like there's that's a yeah that's a 
something we're going to see play out next season. But I have no idea where she's gone. I'm pretty sure she'll be back there. She's gone to get the Thanos copter. No, Thanos. <laughs> Possibly on some kind of heist. Yeah. yeah. As somebody who is very confused by all of this, um, can hmm. I ask, it's a simple way of thinking about it, right? So in now in like the world, everything outside of the TVA, there are infinite possibilities and multiple timelines and multiple branches of all kinds of shit. The one place where that is not the case is the TVA because it exists outside of time. Yeah, historically, the TVA has only had one linear timeline, as in fairness, historically had the rest of the universe recently. Historically, it's only had one timeline, as far as we know, at least. And there's only been one TVA. Mm-hmm. That may there's no longer be the one case. TVA. <laughs> one TVA. TVA. I mean, okay. honestly, like we haven't had enough football this week. Good lord. So yeah, I, I think I think we now have the, the TVA's timeline. Mm-hmm. Perhaps for the first time ever, has now been altered. Yes. Because so it's not that he's in like an alternate multiversey version of the TVA because there is only no. one TVA because it exists outside of time. I mean, it could yes. be that that will be what it, they play with in the end, but I would think that would feel less again elegant to me that yeah. it, this should be the TVA. I feel like Immortus created the TVA outside of time, and in this reality that we're not now in, Immortus dead. He's Tang's really going come in and he's reshaped. Mm. The t- I'd like, and I should we should say this because we didn't discuss this on the actual live podcast. That I don't think the name Immortus is likely to ever come up, and I don't think they're going to make a distinction between Kang and Immortus on the actual show. I think it's a nod to people who read the comics. I think so. People who know know, and everyone else doesn't need to worry about it. Not a problem. Not a problem, Gov. So I, right? Should we have some listener questions? Sure. Let's do it. I think we have had more listener questions for this episode <laughs> than we've had for any MCU property either side of Avengers Endgame. Because they've all come from the 31st century. Yes, they have. Um, uh, one is from Sylvie. And it's just saying, simply saying, I'm stuck in a dark, scary castle and I can't get out. Help. Uh, so, <laughs> no, I'm going to take these as best I can in the order uh, in which they were sent. And obviously, we will have discussed quite a few of your questions already. I don't think we've answered them because, as we've proved over the last hour or so, we are idiots who don't know what is going on. Hmm. Uh, Helen accepted, of course. I mean, I wouldn't say that, sir. But you sound very confident when you say stuff, and that's very, very important. Look, there has to be, I have to gain something from reading sci-fi books instead of studying for my GCSEs. So, like, and this is, this is where that comes into play. What's your favourite ISBN number? Anyway, <laughs> at Michael Colton, uh, this isn't a question, it's more of a point. It's something we mentioned in a previous ep. Uh, he says, the timeline bombing that we all wondered about at the end of mm. episode two, which sent the TVA into conniptions. Uh, he says it was just a distraction. Sylvie sent in reset bombs. Each of the branches that were created were self-pruning. She needed the Minutemen to be distracted in order for her to better infiltrate the TVA. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Someone else sent in the uh, the same point, but I saw his first. Had Cantona's ghost, reliable old Cantona's ghost, question every week. Everyone a winner. What do we think has or will happen to Renslayer? I know we've been discussing that, but wait, bear with me. Will she seek out the Kang crossover? He did it with a K. And will it to secure her and his glorious purpose of control? And do their aspirations intersect? Well, that's a big question, isn't it? Obviously, they have a link in the comics and it would make a certain amount of sense. Mm -hmm. But whether it'll be that easy? I don't know if, you know, will we next see her basically as his lieutenant or will we see her trying to find him and, and you know, kind of working parallel to? It felt that she I had bigger know. ambitions. Mm. 
she was talking about, you know, in that conversation she had with Mobius and she was like, the only, you know, there's only one person who has free will, as you've been saying, Helen, and that's the person in charge. And so she wants to be the person in charge. Did, did she though? Because I didn't necessarily get that from what she said. Mm, I, I felt I she was still devoted to the cause yeah, or clinging to the cause. And also I'm not sure what she's doing is necessarily her own scheme. I feel like Kang has seeded something. Kang, who knows all, sees all, and knows what's going to happen, uh, presumably even at the TVA, sent her some information and set her in motion to go and do something, mm -hmm. which, as, as has been pointed out, could have been some kind of insurance policy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe that's why there's a big old Kang statue in the TVA, because Ravona has done something in... Uh, in a different time period. The thing that was passed over to her was the blueprints for how to make that big Kang statue. <gasps> yes. Please make this and get rid of the lizards. <laughs> That's what it is. Um, and also, we got an answer finally to where the pen came from. Was that answer yeah. to your satisfaction? Yeah. I mean, I was kind of hoping for some kind of weird Spider-Man crossover a little bit, just because it was a high school. But, yeah. you know. Because mm -hmm. she's... Rebecca Tormine mm. is her name. Yeah. That is her that is her on her diploma. And that is an alias used by Ravonna in the comics. So that's a nice little nice little closing good, of yeah. the loop. But yeah. So so Mobius's grand plan was to find who her actual real self is and then expose the TVA to that. So therefore proving that everybody Proving that they're all variants, yeah. 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 So what you know, how did he find her? Hand wave, because hand wave. the pen is mightier the pen. than the sword. Yeah, he'd, he'd seen, seen the pen. The pen. Of yeah. course he had. It's pen. on the fucking pen. It's, it's written mm. on the pen. It's written it's on the pen. It's been a long day, folks. I've done a lot of interviews and a lot of stuff, and I got up very early, and I didn't get much sleep, and I have a sore back, and so I'm a bit more stupid this week than I normally am, and that sends something. Can I just ask, did anyone else get sexy vibes when yes. uh, when Mobius oh. was down on the floor and he was like, here I am, down here again, and you're wondering, what were the two of you doing on her office floor in the past that made you think of that? There's always been a bit of a flirtation between the two of them. but Sexy vibes. I did, I did take from that that he had been beaten by her once again. I didn't actually get a sexy vibe from that. Beaten off by her once again. Oh, oh my God. God. He Same. also has a bit of a substitute teacher vibe. Maybe they were... You know, ah. in their past lives, always a thing. In the staff room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Bit of uh, TLC. <laughs> oh my God. What? Bit of TLC in the TVA. <laughs> uh, here's a question from at RaiderFan911. It's 1.27am here in California in the States. But I must ask, was Marvel threatened by the Empire Marvel Studios Fanfare Orchestra so that they had to reduce <laughs> themselves to just quotes instead of music? It seems like you guys have emerged victorious that's right faggy yes. do not come around do not piss on my territory mate we will blow your house down i, th I think that was an attempt to protect their ears from our music or what? sorry inverted commas music, music. in air quotes yes <laughs> what what and again, this wouldn't be a spoiler special podcast without Fal Shopaholic making an appearance. Uh, she has sent in many, many questions. Uh, she says, I was more upset at Mobius not recognizing Loki than when Loki was fighting Sylvie. Mm. Yeah, it was tragic. It was tragic. Because you felt like the hug, the hug, there was meaning, there was friendship. They both had a connection there. Mm -hmm. And then nothing. Blanked. Ghosted. Just like yeah. modern dating all over again. <laughs> I also really like the relationship between Mobius and Renslayer. And genuinely, I wonder if he might be a way for her to redeem herself in season two, if that's where she's mm. going to end up. Because there's a possibility any of them could wind up in any of the films that are coming up. Yeah. You, you could have Mobius playing an almost uh, Phil Col Coulson role in any upcoming film. Just hopefully without 
what happened to Phil Coulson. Well, hopefully without being stabbed through the chest. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Maybe we'll get a giant Owen Wilson statue at some point. That'd be cool. In the middle of the TVA. On a jet ski. On a jet ski. Make it happen. I mean, I just think that in terms of the question, it just speaks to how well the show has drawn relationships between the Loki that we know and love and have come to understand has changed a lot. And these new characters we've built in, like he has such a great dynamic with Sylvie. He has a really great dynamic with Mobius as well. So to have both of those relationships be kind of either erased or challenged in this last episode it did feel kind of painful um just like what an amazing job in six episodes that makes you care that much about all of those characters and 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 the growth that they've all experienced together and then having that taken away hopefully literally episode one of season two is getting the gang back together oh and also in terms of mobius getting his memory back what are we thinking sylvie enchantment mind powers (gasps) loki now as well potentially Yes! Bringing back uncovered memories. Come on, this Lucky, is easy. Lucky, he can enchant, but not within the TVA. Not within the TVA. So they'd have to yeah. go somewhere else. Sure. Mm. But then he'd have to persuade Mobius to go with him. And Mobius is like, who's this crazy dude? Yeah, but he knows his, his kind of, you know, his, his angles now, doesn't he? He does. He does. Also, uh, Fal Shopaholic and many other people have pointed out across not just this week, but other weeks as well, that obviously the TVA is very Earth centric. We did discuss this in a previous mm. podcast and we were thinking, well, maybe the revelation of the Big Bad would would indicate why. And I think it does because Kang is from Earth. So maybe it makes sense that most of the time periods we've seen, most of the places we've seen, with the exception, obviously, of Lamentus One, have been on Earth, and mm-hmm. he would fill the TVA with with humans. That kind of works for me. Good old Kang. What am I saying? Dermot Ward at Gismond asks, do you think there'll be surprise appearances from different Kang variants in other MCU movies and shows before Ant-Man 3? Yes. Uh, and also, do you think that What If might have any impact on the live action MCU? And might Kang even show up there? I think Kang might. I don't think it'll have any impact on anything because by its very nature, it happens. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a hypothetical endeavor. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, it's entirely possible that any of these characters could turn up there for a giggle, but um, yeah. I don't I don't think it should impact the live action. I think that's the whole, yeah. No. Although if it yeah, does, exactly. then what's that's the, the point? point like, yeah. Yeah. It, the whole yeah. point of it is it's 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 alternate stuff. Yeah. 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 Which is why we're not going to be doing a weekly spoiler special on that show. A few people have asked if we're going to be doing that when it starts in August. We're not, largely... Um, because we want to sleep. Uh, but also, <laughs> I will be off for a, a quite a bit in August as well. Um, taking what I Googled is a holiday. I'm still looking into mm. that. but uh, So we're not going to be doing that. But we will be doing, I think, a big old roundup spoiler special at the end of it all. Although, if you want to track down Uatu the Watcher, I'm sure he can direct you to a timeline in which we do do episode by episode spoiler special. <laughs> yes. And who knows? We could change our minds. Yeah, I mean, we if, look, if, we see, if we see episode one or two and are like, what the? We yeah. must discuss this in detail, then great. But no, I think yeah, on the face what, of it. What if, Helen? Not what, what the? It's if. What, what if? <laughs> what if? But it feels largely, it feels like it could be fun, but inessential in yes. the same way that, you know. Much like yourself. Ant-Man and the Wasp is. Oh, that's uh, nice of you to call them fun. At Alvin wrote this, easy now, uh, at Alvin wrote this, which Marvel TV series had the best series finale? Whilst I think Loki was the best series overall, I felt that final episode was set up of the phase four big bad and left unresolved character arcs for Loki and Sylvie. Also, no jet ski, damn it. I've deducted two Loki points in this episode for the lack of a jet ski. Mm-hmm. Uh, but which of these series had the best finale? Oh, WandaVision. 
Definitely. I'm still Loki. I think I may be Loki. Like, the thing that's so exciting about this is that, to me, it was a kind of exciting and satisfying finale to this episode, but there's something about this that feels for the first time in a long time to me that Marvel is like building up to something again and I love that sense of escalation like for a long time even throughout phase three it was clear like oh we're doing the Thanos thing we've got Infinity War we've got well Avengers 3 and 4 as they were known for a long time and then even so like Spider-Man Far From Home and WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Black Widow were all kind of dealing with the aftermath. It was all kind of, okay, like the dust is settling around everything that happened in Phase 3 and Endgame and stuff. Loki, there is something in that feeling of like, ooh, yes, there are lots of kind of new things being seeded. We're getting new characters. We're getting kind of new versions of familiar characters. But this is the first thing that is like, so this is what is going to happen going yeah. forwards and that sense of excitement that I feel from that in the wake of this episode is like uh, Division was really really great as, as a finale in its own and just kind of wrapping up its own thing but this the like it felt satisfying as I watched it but the sense of what's coming next and the sense that Marvel is cracking things open and building up to something big again for the first time in a while is oh that's cool do you think your perception of this episode and general perceptions, I mean, by and large, the things I've seen on Twitter have been very, very positive. I have seen other people being slightly down on the episode, perhaps not giving them what they expected. And I have seen a couple of people invoke the Matrix Reloaded and the Architect scene in regards oh, to, harsh. which I feel is very, Way very harsh, harsh, but in regards to uh, our um, he who monologues. Uh, but <laughs> if do you think if they had announced before this episode that there is going to be a season two, because I, what I think is happening is that the, f- the few people I've seen reacting negatively to this episode have gone into it going, all right, this is going to be resolution and it's going to be, it's going to definitively finish the arcs of certainly a few characters. And yeah, obviously it'll do some setup because that's kind of what everything does now in the MCU, but there will be a, a definitive end to some arcs. There'll be a definitive end at Loki. We talked about Hiddleston being one and done. We talked about whether he was going to make it, you know, find his glorious purpose and, and sacrifice himself, all that stuff. None of that happened because it rug pulled us. The God of mischief tricked us once again. And I think maybe some people went at the last five minutes going, I want resolution and I'm not getting quite the resolution that I wanted now there's a season two. But if they'd known going into it that there was a season two, perhaps their expectations would have changed. Yeah, I think that's possible. I think, look, I, I, I agree. I think it was Ben who said that, you know, there were elements of this, the you know, the, the sort of Loki and Sylvie and Loki and Mobius being split up that are unsatisfying and that leave us wanting more. And yes, we're going to get more, but that still doesn't change the fact that it's unsatisfying and that you wanted that sense of an ending. You wanted that moment of triumph. And you didn't get that, so there is there is an element of 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 that there. And yes, knowing season two is coming helps, but I think it's still probably a fair point that you want you know you want a moment of because even in one division, yes, she goes off and she you know secretes herself in a cabin and everything else, but she does have final moments and really kind of heartfelt moments with Vision, for example, and and so there is a bit more of maybe a sense of wrap up to that than there was mm-hmm. to this. So it's it's not an unfair point. By the way, uh, my answer to the question is I loved the last half of the finale of WandaVision. I really liked this episode. So it's uh, it's a tough one for me, but I mm-hmm. think I'd have to say the final episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier uh, was the best for me. Guys, think about it. It's got Sharon Carter turning up out of nowhere for 
reasons. It has John Walker being redeemed for also reasons. It has um, it has a, a bit at the end with Val for also reasons. Uh, it, it doesn't has Sam have... Wilson's cool suits. Come on, no, no. It has it's Sam Wilson wearing suit. a giant winged condom. It's terrible. <laughs> no, it's You're cool. Terrible. And he has great moments. <laughs> and that show did, did right by him, even if it. There you go, giant winged condom. That's all you had to say. <laughs> <laughs> Definitive proof that Falcon and Winter Soldier no, is a, the he's best. A uh, he's a condom. <laughs> Sorry, I have really misspelled that. Uh, anyway, at James Heath TV says, I adore the MCU, but I do think the finale of Loki is an example of the worst of what people say about the MCU in that it seemed to be more focused on setting up what was coming next than, rather than providing a satisfying conclusion to what we've been watching. Would you agree? says James he says if you don't pay attention to the outside casting news you wouldn't even know that dude is called Kang they didn't once say his name you don't need to and he isn't it's a mortis I I very much I very much disagree with that I think that this entire season series has been about building up to there is a person who controls this TVA and we're going to find out who it is and we're going to take them down on that, in that respect, that's exactly what they did. That's there is no setup for new stuff in that mission. That is the mission of the season uh, for both Loki and Sylvie for different reasons, and that's what they've delivered on. You know, it just didn't turn out exactly the way that they planned, and I think that's good. I think that's clever. I think that gives it more nuance and more interest than it would otherwise have had. Uh, a couple of people have pointed out, including uh, Fal Shopaholic and First AD underscore Greggles. Uh, that Sylvie says before they entered the Citadel that she was pruned before Hiddleston's Loki ever existed. Mm. But that's not the case. Is it? Why not? Y- yeah, so well, I bumped pruned. on that actually as well when she said that. Yeah, I, yes, you're right. She wasn't pruned, but I guess they pruned her timeline yeah, rather her, yeah. than her. Yeah. So her oh, timeline okay. was pruned. But but was it before he ever existed? That surely doesn't make any sense because presumably they that all existed at the same time. happened concurrently to our Loki's branch. But again, so. like... There's an alligator Loki, so there are multiple realities as well as multiple timelines. Ah, it's like, an alligator <laughs> like, Okay. It, it just, like, yes. there's, no, there's no time confusion that explains the alligator, guys. I feel like it's really important in the room. to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. Also, she's kind of lived her life outside of time, so she could absolutely have lived for millennia in all the apocalypses. It's a good point. It's a good so. point. Helen makes a good point, but James, you also made a good point. Ben, you made no point at all. <laughs> Point oh. from Ben. Oh. Uh, Luke Jones at LAJ105. Uh, I wonder if the Kang of Quantumania will be the bad guy or whether it might be the start of showing what turns a good scientist into a nefarious conqueror. That would be interesting and potentially another sort of introduction to this character. That's what I think is is kind of smart in that, as we were saying, they've sort of introduced Kang, but all Kang but also haven't, and they can reintroduce him in another way that is still a separate version of that character or from a different perspective. The 31st century is the the thing that kind of gets wrinkly there, because then are you, what, are you sending Ant-Man and the Wasp into the 31st century? Are you having him, I don't know, travel, Kang traveling through time for the first time, yeah. having discovered time, time travel, yes. and yeah. coming back to the 21st century? Maybe that's the case, who knows? But then it's not really like an origin story in, in the way that that, that question described, really, is it? Mm. Maybe. I and don't also know. also then that means if he is the sort of main villain in that, then you know there's an element of knowing that you probably go into it thinking they're not going to kill Kang. But does that mean that you know that he is not going to be thwarted? I don't know. It's confusing. I don't understand time. They could kill, kill a, a Kang. Kang. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Just not... 
Because the Kang Council could become a thing, for all we know. That's actually a thing in the comics. The Council of Kangs. Yeah, I I, I think it's possible that, yeah, this this is the um, exciting and annoying thing about Kang. You know, he's like whack-a-mole. You you push one down uh, and another (laughs) one pops up. Or Pokemon. Got to catch them all. That's that's it exactly. So um, so he could be he could be a good guy and a bad guy in Quantum Mania if you mm. want to be crazy about it. You know, mm. exciting. Uh, at Bait Joseph asks a, a similar question about Ant Man and the Wasp three. Uh, what the fuck <laughs> are Ant Man and the Wasp and Sonny Birch going to do against Kang? I mean, the guy is a time traveling despot, and this is a bloke who can shrink. And They've been exploring the quantum realm, quantum mania. It's right there in the title, mm. unless you go with Chris's Sonny Burke title. Yes, Sonny Birch. Sorry. Absolutely. Sonny Birch. Uh, at Films TV Coffee asks, uh, the Battle of New York was in 2012, and the this season spans about a week, maybe? So does this mean that the MCU has really been a multiverse in everything since the first Avengers? Will that be an idea that the films will make use of retroactively on the intervening titles? The multiverse is happening all, all at once right now. Yes. Everything is a multiverse. Although everything and that happened in this series pretty much happened outside of time. Yeah. So, But yes, there have always been multiverses. Well, there have always been multiverses if you ask, you know, the writers of Endgame rather than the directors. But, you know, let's not get into that. <laughs> At John C. N. Harris, formerly of this parish, uh, says, I'm concerned I missed something and this was explained, but what prompts he who remains to stop being able to see what happens next, if indeed that's what was happening? It's a good question. I wondered about that because mm-hmm. they, they seem to pass some, that point, the point after which he knows not what happens. Yeah. Uh, because drama would be my answer to that, but sure. I think it's because he, it's when he gives them a genuine choice. He bestows upon them free will yeah. and therefore is unable to see what happens yeah, from that point exactly. on. Mm, perhaps. Perhaps indeed. I quite liked it though. Yeah, me too. I thought it was really well done. Yeah. And he acted that moment brilliantly. So you knew yeah. it was happening even before he said it. Super good. Kind of tingly feeling of, ooh, they're writing new time now. Mm. That's fun. They've changed yeah. something in the it's Matrix. It's like the moment when you're watching a show where you actually watch a new episode without having read the Wikipedia summaries first. And you genuinely don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay, relatable, I guess, probably for somebody. That reminded me of that. There's a conversation, isn't it, in episode two between Mobius and Kang? Mobius and Kang? Jesus. Uh, oh, by the way, this does rule out this episode the idea of Mobius being A, the big bad, and B, a Loki variant, which has been doing the rounds on Twitter this week. Oh, um, it was never in my rounds. Never in your rounds. James wouldn't allow it. Uh, your name's not down. You're not coming in. But the conversation between Mobius and Loki, where they talk about well, what happens at the end of time, and like, well, there's a point where they know everything, and then there's a point where they don't know everything. And when we reach that point, there'll be no more timelines to untangle, and we'll be in Utopia, which is obviously you know dogmatic nonsense that he uh, has swallowed wholeheartedly. But it might also play into what happens here. And of course, it's dramatically convenient that they they arrive at the Citadel at the point where he doesn't know that anymore. But hey-ho. Uh, at Sack Gross, in your opinion, who betrayed whom in the Castle Showdown? Uh, but there I was mean, no betrayal. There wasn't a lot of betrayal. Maybe maybe you could say Sylvie kissing Loki and pushing him through the door is a betrayal. Under the Christmas tree. I'd argue that that's more of a, you know, saving him in a way. It's a choice, I would say. Yeah. Yes, it was a choice. I don't think it was a betrayal. I think they had a difference of opinion and she won the argument. Yeah. <laughs> that was all there was to it. I'd say, I don't know, there was an element of betrayal because they didn't decide what they were going to do together. She shoved him away and said, I'm going to stab him. And that's what she did. 
um, without it kind of being, he's saying, hey, let's talk about this and kind of work out what should we should do. And she's saying, I've spent my entire life across many millennia waiting to stab this guy. So you go away because I'm going to stab him. Uh, but she didn't say that in words. She kind of took that choice said away that from him. Knives. Uh, she said yeah, it with she knives. She said it with which knives. Which is not always the best way to say things. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I can see how she would say that, see that as a betrayal. It's like, we came here to kill this dude and now you're all like, maybe we shouldn't. I, I guess mm. she could see that as a betrayal. I don't think it is, though. So circumstances But I think they get changed. past that. Yeah. I think they, they realise <laughs> that they've just calcified in different positions and she does what anyone would do at the end of an argument, which is chucked him through a temporal portal. And then stabbed somebody. And then stabbed someone in slow motion. Yes, I mean, that's how I end all my disagreements. Mm. Note to self. Be careful around James's eyes. <laughs> Wear a stab vest. At Bumbles underscore Jake asks four questions. Question number one is what the fuck? Question mm-hmm. number two, Fair. all caps, what the fuck? Question number three, yeah, what same. the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. And question four, is Loki set at the same time as WandaVision? Uh, for example, the moment with the sacred timeline branches is at the moment that Wanda first hears the boys calling out to her. No. What no. is time? Really? <laughs> well, indeed. <laughs> indeed. But but quite literally, like Loki happens outside of time yeah. this entire series, pretty much. So, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no. Take that. Sorry. Jake. No, but it's, it's a good question, but it's but it, it, I'm pretty sure it's a no. Except yeah. the fact that, you know, now that time is branching, it's branching every when. So. Yes. To quote the theme tune of one of Wonder Maximoff's uh, favorite TV shows yes, no, maybe, I don't know. Can you repeat the question? You're not the boss of me now, and you're not so big. <laughs> so true. So true. Uh, at Right Stuff seventy six, is it fair to say that all the multiverse problems are the fault of Hulk taking the stairs? <laughs> <laughs> he really didn't like taking those stairs, and Hulk they shouldn't hates have made stairs. Them. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe, 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 maybe Sylvie could eventually have gotten there yeah. on her own. Anyway, I think Sylvie would have done it on her own. Just with less flair. <laughs> or more flair. I don't know. I wonder if, yeah, Sylvie might have got there eventually over the course of many millennia, but I think she needed Loki's chaos to change her enough as well so that she could take that final step of the journey and to bump her and nudge her in the right direction. But hey, if you want to blame anybody for all of this, don't blame the Hulk. Blame, and Helen's going to love this, blame Tony Stark because he's the one he came up with time travel in the first place 10 centuries before Kang. So it's all his fault. Hmm? <laughs> Adam on Krakoa asks, are we to understand there are multiple timelines, but the TVA is trying not to prevent those timelines from connecting? Or is there one timeline which the TVA tried to prevent branching into new timelines? I'm yes. wondering if Doctor Strange in Infinity War was able to observe other timelines regardless of there not being a connection. He also points out that the timekeeper connecting with other timekeepers across the timeline only for things to implode is literally a Mr. Fantastic slash Fantastic Four story. Uh, Again, I would imagine that is deliberate. Mm. So my, like, I know that, I think, Chris, you have a slightly different take on this. And and so by the signs of it, does that question. But my take on what Doctor Strange did was he used the time stone to look at endless possibilities. He wasn't necessarily literally visiting alternate realities, he could have been just looking at alternative possible timelines, which still existed because things had not yet happened. He doesn't have to have actually technically time-travelled or gone to any other timelines in that moment at all. He could have just looked from where he was. 
So I don't see that that has anything to do with any of this show. But I know that there are disagreements on that. Yes, I, I, I feel like it is. it feels significant to me. But again, when Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers came up with that, they weren't really thinking of how it would impact Loki, a show that didn't even exist at that point. And maybe Michael Waldron and Kate Heron and co aren't really that bothered about joining dots here and they're going to plow ahead and, and forge their own destinies. And of course, there's one very important other point to consider, which is that I'm an idiot. So what do I know? But it's it's... You know, it feels to me like he takes that time and he doesn't, I don't think he physically fits him. I think he pops his head and just looks through a window. And yes, there's, there's, he's exploring alternate timelines and yeah. potentially what could happen from this point in, if Tony does yeah. this and then that makes Peter Quill do this. Okay, that's bad. All right, so let's go back and take, oh, now that Tony does this, now Peter Quill does this, now Peter Parker does this, now I do this. This all leads to the moment on Earth, where I hold my finger up and Tony sacrifices himself. But there are 14,604,000 versions of this that don't. But what I, I think that those are timelines. I think those are the, the, the branches of the time tree that he somehow managed to, to, to look at. But then, but then that, that renders Endgame moot because then all those things still happen. And all that's happened is that the people in Endgame end up in the one lucky timeline. But like it doesn't, that doesn't make... Oh, well, yeah dramatic thematic sense if all those timelines still exist it, it, it to me it doesn't work it doesn't work dramatically and it doesn't work sort of uh, f- physically even though the I physics think there's, doesn't that make means sense there are 14,604 timelines in which thanos wins james I, loves I don't, this the, I james don't, loves this theory of course james yes, I do. i'd like yeah. to live of course he does but like that doesn't that doesn't that doesn't work I don't like it's it. It's almost I like it. this is slightly inconsistent and hasn't <laughs> no, been brilliantly thought No, but I don't think it is inconsistent because I don't think those timelines exist. I think those are potentialities at that moment. I think he lives through potentialities. He looks, he uses the time stone to look at all the potential things and then he manipulates events to ensure that the one good outcome is the one outcome that happens. Because at that point, of course, we've seen the ancient one lay out exactly what the timeline is, or well, we will see it a little bit later in Endgame. And it is one timeline at that point. It is one reality, more or less, or one series of realities moving in lockstep. So I just don't think that there are 14 million, 600 and whatever worlds that Thanos won. And I'm sticking to that and fuck Thanos, James. And you've like got to, to stop with are. the Thanos worship. It's just... I'm invoking the Molly's game rule. Like we can't have Thanos. Oh, worship. so he gets an extra star. Excellent. <laughs> That's not the rule. <laughs> no, Helen snap. Helen, Helen snaps her fingers, and two of those stars from the Molly's game review disappear. <laughs> I don't know whether this is something that we're all overthinking because we're big nerds, <laughs> Us? or whether it's something that is a genuine, like, sort of problem-ish that Marvel's going to have to kind of address for much more mainstream audiences going forward of what the rules are and how this actually works. Because <laughs> the much more mainstream audience does not care what the specific niceties of the temporal not. mechanics are. But I do, I do think there is an irregularity, and I think uh, some of that did come across when we talked to you know the Endgame guys, where Marcus and Mafili had a fundamentally different idea to how the film went to the Russos did. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it does speak to, but they'll retcon it. You know, they'll smooth it out once it becomes more integral as it is becoming now to the overall plot. Yeah. They'll smooth it out and they'll they'll make it work. But it's not they've not gone full Nolan. They haven't got Kip Thorne in as a fucking consultant on this to go through how time would flow and all these various bits. That we know I think of. They're taking a slightly more that we know yeah. of. I suspect they're taking a slightly more devil may care. Yeah, I think I think look the the, because I, the idea time. in some 
you know, sci-fi discussions of this kind of stuff is that some timelines are so similar to the other ones. You know, the universe doesn't really care whether you put on red socks or blue socks. So those those timelines kind of tend to re-merge or, or die off or just not really cause a problem. It's only when there's a major issue that it it really diverges. But of course, this is all red science socks. fiction. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> um, well, I think I should point out as well, if I remember rightly, that Marcus McFeely did say that he had consulted a number of scientists and physicists and time travel boffins about what might happen and then just had to ignore a lot of that because otherwise the story wouldn't work. So there you go. Storytelling over science, folks. Storytelling over science. Okay, so we are, as Doctor Strange once said, of course, in the endgame now. And of course, endgame... Track five on R.E.M.'s Out of Time. Mm, yes, All Connected. Lovely song, by the way. Largely instrumental. Beautiful, beautiful tune. And one of the few R.E.M. songs I can play on the guitar. So there you go. Anywho, at Nandy Selson, do you think that that is Loki done now for the big screen? Is he now a purely small screen presence or will he appear as an expository character uh, in Doctor Strange or Ant-Man? Well, Both. according to The Hollywood Reporter, uh, and this obviously is not confirmed by Marvel or in any f- official capacity, but The Hollywood Reporter seems to think that Hiddleston is in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is interesting, very possible, because Hiddleston is London-based, and that film shot in London over the last kind of several months, so that is very much possible and would kind of make sense with where this series has ended up. And I think part of the thing of this show introducing the idea of multiple versions of characters that we know from multiple realities, many of them looking like the versions that we already know, and some of them looking different, gives them infinite possibility of characters popping up wherever, because you can have characters from different realities showing up in different places at different times. So I think that's a really interesting thing going forward of like how intermingled all of these different threads and these different Mm -hmm. presences in the MCU. I mean, we know as well that that they've slightly changed the way they do their contracts at Marvel, I think, in terms of it's not like a contracted specific number of appearances, but it's like, hey, if you're playing around in Marvel stuff at the moment, you, you, you will get a call here and there of like, oh, can you come and pop up here? Can you come and do this? Um, I, I can't remember where I read that, but I did read that in a sort of fairly proper report. Mm. So, yeah, I think we're going to see Hiddleston's Loki anchoring this show on Disney Plus for a while yet. But I also think we will see him in kind of big screen projects, but as a supporting player, as he basically always has been. It's fascinating if he does pop up in Doctor Strange 2. Will Mobius also pop up? I'd love to see Owen Wilson. On the big screen, will Hunter B-15 pop up? Oh my God. What if this is more, what if it's more of a Loki sequel uh, than we had <laughs> thought? Because we all assumed it was going to be a WandaVision sequel. But what if it's a WandaVision and Loki sequel that, that happens to have Doctor Strange in it? And if, if they, they meet as well, given that the last time Doctor Strange met Loki, it was a very different Loki. Mm. So this could be fun. There is an interesting thing here. Like if Loki turns up in Doctor Strange, I think Doctor Strange is the one person who can instantly tell that that's not the last Loki he saw. That's a different Loki. That's yeah. the, the, He will know that that's the one who disappeared in 2012, you know, so I think that's 
an easy way to kind of introduce him back into the. Uh, he'll go by the, the cauldrons of Cthulhu. What is this? Some goddamn multiverse of madness or something? Sure, that's, what that's definitely what he'll say. Um, but no, I don't think. Like, I don't think if I don't think if he is in Doctor Strange, I don't think he'll be in it for long. I don't think it'll be a huge role. But I, you know, I I don't think he's taking over. But I do think we'll see him. You know, walking under the sun again, brother. Walking? Do we think that the Hollywood Reporter have just seen uh, Hiddles and Benelin Cumberbund at Wimbledon last week and thought that that was a film? <laughs> Maybe. Look, buttercream cupcake stand goes to Wimbledon all the time. Like he, they can't draw a lot from that. Yeah. Vision played at, Wimb- at Wimbledon. There was a film about that. That's yeah, true. It's did, true. Yeah. Oh my god, it's all connected. Uh, Monty H. Withnell uh, wants to know: uh, Does the fact that they've teased Loki season two mean they're not making a Falcon and a Winter Soldier season two? As that was not teased. Um, but no, they're gonna. They're gonna. It hasn't been announced yet, but they are looking. Uh, looks like the next time we see Sam and presumably Bucky will be in Cap Four or mm-hmm. whatever that film is going to be called. Dan Smith wants to know: Is Alligator Loki returning for season two? We can Please, only yes. I want to see the whole alligator universe. If you crack the multiverse <laughs> open, take us to the alligator reality. Please. Please. You're just obsessed with the lizard people, then. I am. Why wouldn't you be? <laughs> Love the lizard people. Uh, at M underscore L underscore A underscore said asks, do you think Loki will go back to being a villain or will he embrace change and become a hero? Bit of both. Many Lokis, some of them very villainous. This one kind of a good guy. And what about the Tour de France variant? Do you think he participated seven times? <laughs> I think he's dope. <laughs> I think dope he's or doped. doped? <laughs> you decide. <laughs> At John C six 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 asks, how much of the episode do you think was refilmed? There are a couple of shots from the traders of Loki on the throne of Asgard and saying "glorious" in his full costume that don't show up in the show at all. I think those were just a tease. I don't think those are necessarily ever really in there. Yeah, well, so I don't think reshoots. I mean, there's tons of like, like sequences and footage, I'm sure, won't get used. And also, a lot of the things we saw were out of context. When we talked about the Vogue mm. Loki image, you know, that was a very, you know, this could well have been just an image or a memory or a vision of something, a possibility that they just decided not to use. Yeah, they might have had, um, you know, sort of a vision of those offers that he's made at the end, you know, by Miss Minutes, and then just decided you don't need it. You don't need to slow things down that much. Question from Old Grumpy Tits. I love that username. Uh, what do you guys think was the biggest gut punch in the finale? Probably Mobius. I think we have mentioned yeah, this. Yeah, it was thing, Mobius. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, not, Mobius not riding the jet ski. That's the biggest gut punch. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And the thing with the lack of figgy port. Biggest gut punch. Renslayer punching Mobius in the gut. <laughs> Boom! Oh. Boom. Sorted. Sorted. At George Bowers, I rewatched Thor recently. Well done. The Loki Good. baby changes from frost giant blue when he's held in Odin's hands. This is, I think, in reference to something we discussed on our listener question only spoiler special this week. Adult Loki also changes blue only when he's holding the source of frost giant powers, the casket of ancient winters. Proper nerd points if you knew that without having to Google it. And he immediately reverts back to his regular non-blue form when he puts it down. I think we can read into this that if Loki had been raised in Jotunheim, blue would be his default but being raised in Asgard means his default is what we normally see and it's not something he's consciously doing. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I certainly think it's not a conscious enchantment of any sort. Um, the fact that he still looks the same in the TVA proves that. Is Sylvia Goner? Asks Mr. Purence. No. No, we have no reason to think so. No, no, not at all. None at all. And then that means the last question comes from Chris Le Poidevin. 
Great name. Chris the Poix Devon. Uh, when are we going to see Crocodile Kang the Conqueror? Give me a Crocodile Kang and make it snappy. <laughs> They'll be fighting Alligator Loki, right? The real oh, space hopefully. lizard behind it all. Maybe what if they got into the castle and it was Kang, but it was the Alligator variant? Then it is a proper space lizard. Oh, he's kind of an Earth person, though, isn't he? He's an Earth lizard because he's from... I don't know. I still don't understand. We've not done enough explaining of how time works. <laughs> it's broken my brain, as indeed has this episode, and now I have to edit it. Uh, so I think on that note, that is it for our Loki spoiler special deep dive into episode six for all time. Always. 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 Thank you. Beautifully, beautifully coordinated. So. <laughs> So well practiced. Uh, there will be, hopefully, more Loki spoiler specials coming your way. Uh, I don't want to say too much at this point in time, but keep peeled next week. Uh, there is going to be something that is going to be well worth your time, folks. Well worth your time. But until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it is goodbye for my three Colleagues of such lethal cunning squadcast names, multiversal for war, Ben Travis. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely timed, Ben. Nicely timed. <laughs> it is goodbye from Catch Me If You Can, James Dyer. Yes. I will be waiting here. Me and Alligator James will be waiting here in the pod studio at the end of time, drinking the figgy <laughs> port. Until season two arrives. It's, what is figgy port? Is that port with figs in it? No, or it's is just port, can only assume. It's a sort of pig rich fl- port yeah. that tastes like figs. I thought it was fig-flavoured port. I don't think yeah, so. Yes, no. I thought. No? No, I don't think so. Okay. Right. Well, I'm, Helen, I'm, the I'm renowned port specialist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, only half of us drink at all, well, and none of us drink You do not have the figgy port, this is clear. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Is figgy heroin quite Moorish? Anyway, uh, it is goodbye. It is goodbye from... Sylvie for fin- Sylph- Sylphie for Fendetta. Yes. Yeah. Ellen O'Hara. In retrospect, maybe I should have gone with Kang Film Festival, but, you know, <laughs> we, we do what we can. Bye. Oh, I've just realised something as well. Um, we've been talking an awful lot about R.E.M. in this episode. Mm-hmm. He who remains. What are the first three letters of remains? <gasps> Whoa. R.E.M. Oh my god. And what was Jonathan Majors doing? Lots of rapid eye movement. Oh my yes. god. And at one point he was in a corner. So I'm just saying that no, Michael Stipe. In corner. Oh, it's like you in the spotlight. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway, what I'm trying to suggest is that perhaps in season two, Michael Stipe might be playing the real big bad. And perhaps, who knows, maybe he plays a character called he who leaves and he has to go up against he who remains and the whole thing is about Brexit. (laughs) That sounds good. (laughs) Let's watch that. Anyway, it's goodbye (laughs) from me, Kangly Kang. I'm off to find the Citadel of Time, tucked away neatly, twixt the bum and the ball sack. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye.